Hey folks, Josh here. This fall at Gen Con, the largest tabletop gaming convention in the world, our show will be hosting its very first live recording session, taking place August 2nd at 8 p.m. in the Crown Plaza Hotel in Indianapolis. This show will include a one-time recording of a What's in the Rift one-shot, as well as a prize drawing amongst ticketed guests where we'll be handing out exclusive What's in the Rift Gen Con 2024 custom t-shirts, as well as a Cortex Prime RPG handbook signed by the system's creator, Cam Banks. Tickets are $6 and available via Gen Con's events page. You can find more information and a link to the sales portal at rift.show forward slash live. We can't wait to see you there. Rusty Quill presents. Hey folks, Josh here. I come bearing news. You'll have noticed by now that this is not the newest episode of What's in the Rift, but instead of riffing on the rift for internet sensation Bruce McKinney. There are a couple reasons for that. For one, releasing a new episode of your podcast on New Year's Eve is a surefire way to make sure it doesn't get listened to. But more importantly, with the holidays, we decided to take some time to spend with our families and be present. It may not sound like it always, but putting together a podcast can be incredibly taxing and time-consuming work. And none of us are doing this as our full-time job, meaning that it's our nights and weekends that are sacrificed on the altar of building a story we believe in. And, like 99% of all podcasts, this show makes no money, but does cost quite a bit to make. We appreciate all the ways that people have shown up to support us so far, from buying merchandise to just telling their friends about the show. We love everyone who has joined our Discord and talked with the cast and myself about the story and the characters. That community involvement is essential from a mental health standpoint to keep us motivated to continue making more episodes for you. To that end, we have a brand new offering for you to both support the show and to send your own message. For $10, you can have your message read by me or any cast member of your choosing to air in the space before the episode starts. That's this space right here that I am talking to you from. These could be your words for less than a meal at a fast food restaurant. You can find more information on our website, whatsintherift.com, or by going to rift.show forward slash coffee. That's coffee spelled K-O-F-I. We have a very exciting continuation of What's in the Rift in two weeks' time. One character will be captured by the shadowy UCRI organization, and the rest of the group inevitably makes a series of ill-advised and dangerous decisions in rapid succession in an attempt to rectify this. On a personal note, I'm very excited about the direction of the show as we approach the halfway point of our first season. And now that we're recording the last couple episodes of What's in the Rift in real time, I can honestly say this story goes in directions not even I was expecting. So just to wrap this up, I want to thank our cast and voice actors from the bottom of my heart. I'm very happy that you've all decided to take some time out of your busy lives to sit and tell a story with me. I could not ask for better partners in this endeavor and I appreciate each and every one of you, truly. All right, without any more fuss, here is Riffin' on the Rift. You know, you're not 
supposed to say the one. You're supposed to point and signal. Ooh, okay, we're saying that. Yeah, Yolani, that's We need to turn like our cameras on just for that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Riffin' on the Rift, an infrequent and often unscheduled companion podcast to What's in the Rift. Welcome back to Riffin' on the Rift. I am your host, Josh Burgess. Tonight's episode features Grayson Stam, who plays Bruce McKinney. From the cast of What's in the Rift, we have Yolandi Hamilton, Patty Hamilton, Ryan Daler, and Summer Schlenker. Grayson, why don't you tell me a little bit about the world from which Bruce hails? So Bruce's world is not necessarily that materially different from the one we all live in, except for one pretty significant fact that photography was never invented. All depictions are done by artists either drawn or painted. There isn't moving photography or film as we know either. So is it all just paintings then, or is there a medium beyond that? They've started to experiment with animation, but at this time it's a pretty new art form in his world that's just getting off the ground uh, and hasn't really made a significant cultural dent yet. I know that you've mentioned the blizzard as being kind of a formative piece in your world's entertainment landscape. What is that entertainment landscape like? Yeah, so uh, kind of like the turn of the 20th century where radio was so huge that continued a lot longer in Bruce's world as people were just fascinated by the ability to broadcast anything, novels, newspapers, and then obviously with the blizzard, graphic novels and comics are really significant cultural touchstones. Is it, would you say, more printed media focused or more like live media focused? Or I, I would have to assume there's still playhouses and, and mm -hmm. I would imagine that's a very big thing as well. No, things like plays, live performances of things, sporting events are still a really big deal, but they don't have the same type of cultural resonance without filmed versions or the ability for people to easily access them unless they're in the immediate vicinity. So, you know, uh, the greatest team they would have, the greatest Yankees team, like we might have known in our world, is something that basically only people in New York saw and then everybody else maybe listened on the radio or have simply just read about not something that they really get to experience firsthand, which just makes those little enclaves of fandom more local and generally smaller. That's interesting. I was just about to ask, what does celebrity look like in a world where there isn't a paparazzi with cameras following people? Yeah, definitely a lot different than it looks in this social media age that we live in. Prominent political figures tend to be the bigger celebrities just because the greatest actor is only going to be seen by a much smaller percentage of the people that live in the world. The greatest athlete, same situation. So they just don't have the same sort of recognition or resonance that they might have. And then as far as music, without that pairing of visuals in the same way to go along with the music, that tends to be a little more localized as well. 
yeah, there's no MTV to kind of flanderize an entire musical scene. Yeah, huh? I, I think we regard in America two really big touchstones of the television age would be the presidential debate between Kennedy and Nixon, where everybody saw how handsome and charming Kennedy was versus a sweaty and not at all charming Richard Nixon. People don't quite have that same kind of experience. And then similarly, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, where hundreds of millions of people all tuned in to see that they just didn't have experiences like that. I would imagine that there would be historically a bunch of different events without the advent of broadcast media like that. Case in point, the debate between Nixon and Kennedy, Kennedy, who was seen largely as a neophyte and unprepared for the role, won over a lot of people with his composure and his charm on the screen. Would that carry over? Would he still be president in a world without television? Going down that road, it really does complicate things <laughs> to try to figure out exactly what type of changes would have happened in Bruce's world. But he is I mean, not I American. I don't expect you to have an answer for all yeah. that. <laughs> for those that so, are not aware, Bruce is Canadian. What led to the decision on making Bruce Canadian, Grayson? It is a pretty simple homage to the kids in the hall. When I was thinking about a character, I always loved those over-officious but completely inept bosses and office workers that they would have on Kids in the Hall. So, In fact, Bruce's name is also an homage to Kids in the Hall as well, is it not? Yes, indeed. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh, yeah, so Bruce McKinney is based on Bruce McCullough and Mark McKinney, so... Not the most ingenious invention. I just smashed two of their <laughs> names together. <laughs> it does sound very Canadian, though, so mission accomplished. I have to ask, then, there's a scene in a, an episode that comes out about midway through our first season where Bruce has to present a driver's license. <laughs> and when he hands the driver's license over, it's a painted likeness of Bruce. Is that correct? Yes. This may have been the hardest I've laughed in our entire show was <laughs> <Okay>. realizing <laughs> what his driver's license would actually look like. There are far reaching effects of not having any type of photographic representation in your world. What kind of tale about culture shock do you think that you could tell, given the fact that Bruce is going to be subjected to it almost nonstop throughout the course of our story? Well, I think thus far, Bruce's journey has been very full speed ahead, so he's only caught glances of what might be happening. He's also traveled through space and time and met a deity. So to him, it's coming a little bit in stride. But the reality that that is just a solid part of what most of the other characters would certainly be familiar with, I don't think would hit him the same way. He'd think it's magic, just like uh, Jason shooting a finger gun at him. All right, fair. He did ultimately assimilate that rather quickly. So maybe Bruce is just particularly resilient to these things. In terms of the way I view Bruce for that is that reading the blizzard, which is a story that is about people who have been destined to have powers to become heroes, despite having nothing special about them. He has internalized that for most of his life. So when odd things started happening to him like that, he leans into him and he immediately begins to feel that perhaps this is finally his chance where he's having his own blizzard experience much to Dima's disapproval. 
<laughs> I love that explanation. I particularly like what you've done with the Blizzard and Bruce's fandom. You come across as a very believable fan of this completely non-existent work. And it really, I think, speaks to your immersion in that type of culture that you can do, fabricate that whole cloth. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the Blizzard and first, like a, a high level understanding of what the story is, um, where it gets its name, just to give our listeners a little bit more context on why this is so important to Bruce? Um, so the general conceit of the Blizzard is that there is a pretty small group of people, about a dozen people, who are just on a vacation at a ski chalet, all staying in the same small set of buildings. And a blizzard comes through and they're completely disconnected from all the rest of the world, but they survive it. And when the thaw comes, so to speak, they all find that they're imbued with different cosmic powers. From those powers... Bruce's favorite, the signal, Steve, uh, becomes the leader and the biggest hero, who is very much a Superman analog, traditional power. Uh, but that is who Bruce is always really identified with. You might remember when he first meets Court, Bruce talks about cosplaying as the signal. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's it's I love that you've created a whole new piece of media inside of this new media that we're creating. <laughs> um, I've, I'm a big fan of show within a show conceits. So this has been a particular favorite of mine. Absolutely. Can I mention one more thing that I think is really relevant to not having photography or film? Please do. So when we were discussing that kind of Nixon Kennedy, I think one major factor, of course, is just the way that news is transmitted. And I think we know in our lifetimes, two major, major events were Rodney King, George Floyd, and all the many related things. So in Bruce's world, stuff like that just doesn't exist. You don't actually get to see the recorded violence or brutality that takes place in the world, whether that be wars happening or other incidents. So I think that uh, does speak to a little bit of why Bruce is a bit more of a blind rule follower and he just kind of hasn't lost. He's less cynical as some of our other characters might be coming from these worlds that have kind of been let down by their government or other factors. I hadn't even considered that, but that's actually a brilliant point. There are so many major cultural moments, even beyond the ones you mentioned, that have relied on shocking footage to convey the impact of their message, right? Uh, I, I don't think 9-11 is as big of a deal in American culture. Still a big deal, for sure, but maybe not as nationally, psychologically scarring as it did mm -hmm. having full-color video of planes crashing into a tower if there was no full-color video of said event. Yeah, that day would be a little less paralyzing if you just didn't see that all around everywhere right. you looked. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly good point that I had never even considered. But but yeah, Rodney King, George Floyd, any number of incidences of police wrongdoing, let alone government wrongdoing, that have fermented that kind of civil unrest in our society would not have happened in Bruce's. Right. That's that's wild. 
Okay. Um, on that note, do we have anybody <laughs> that wants to ask questions to Grayson? I have a question. So I'm going to go immediately into what came to my mind at the end of this recording. Crime. In your world, when there's no recording, thus there's no security cameras to kind of be a deterrent to crimes, is there an actual uptick in things like breaking and entering or assault when you don't have this concrete visual proof to set someone at a scene? Well, mm. Bruce is Canadian. So oh, never mind. I retract my question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think because there isn't even the possibility of that, it isn't necessarily different as far as breaking and entering, that type of thing. Some of the types of crimes that we probably think of from days gone by, uh, you know, life insurance scams, things that need a lot of documentation or proof, those things are much easier for people to perpetrate without having to have, you know, this exact likeness of a picture to prove that you are somebody. So all those identity-related crimes are much more of an issue rather than uh, the idea of not having any sort of surveillance state causing things so to be worse. So is Bruce's world just overrun by con men then? <laughs> <laughs> No, he's Canadian. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the world exists outside of Canada, Grace, and I feel like we've had to yes. make this point several times. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that it's overrun. It's just those are the worst people that people can imagine. But also with that being said, uh, as we talked about, there's much less civil unrest. People are generally just more satisfied with the status quo and happy to live their lives because they don't necessarily see the things that they might be outraged by or get them communicated in the same way. The more I think about this, the more it kind of breaks my brain because it, it feels like a lot of the media culture would be frozen at turn of the 20th century. Absolutely. Yeah. in their approaches to these types of things without the advancement of photography into eventually movies and television and other broadcast TikTok. media. Yeah, TikTok eventually, yeah. So, but list, listservs are a huge thing. So they do have the internet, but that's generally what the internet is. So maybe somebody around BBSs. our age, Josh, would remember <laughs> yeah. that type of internet that existed in the early 90s where it was just generally listservs and that type of thing. Uh, so that's how interacting with the Rift, for example, make perfect sense to Bruce because that's the only type of internet he's ever interacted with. Right. So in Bruce's world, how has technology in general progressed? Because I feel like a lot of technology has been based off of like visuals and graphics and things like that. Of course, not all technology, like science, of course, is totally different. But as far as, you know, that virtual world, because you wouldn't have like gaming or anything like that. A lot of the internet is all visual graphics and graphics cards probably wouldn't oh. be a thing. Like how, how is all of that technology wise progressed? Oh my gosh. As the only non-gamer, did I create a, a world without video games? Yes. <laughs> I was yeah. not even thinking of that. Oh wow. Sorry y'all. <laughs> Yours the I mean, worst they might online. have like, um, what is it? What is it? Pong <laughs> or text-based adventures? It still have those. Yeah, <laughs> I enter the room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, interactive novels are a thing and still are a thing to this day. They're still being produced, right? But like digital so, technology in general, like how has that progressed? 
Yeah, in Bruce's world, they still do have cell phones. They still have GPS. They have email to go along with the listservs. A lot of those pieces are still intact. Smartphones are more like Blackberries, I guess. Could <laughs> if they, they have GPS? Compare it to anything. Okay, so real question here, because GPS works off of satellites, right? And the satellites are essentially taking pictures to map, although they're like digital pictures, but they're like topography and stuff. Would that count as pictures? Would you guys have satellites that work like that? Science is definitely not my bag. <laughs> I think GPS is telemetry based, right? But yeah, like, I'm thinking more like radar or LIDAR type. Right, so like tech. GPS so is going to like scan it and create essentially what they would have as a map. I'm going to piggyback off of that, though. Um, does that mean in Bruce's world, the information that they have about space further reaching space is more limited? Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, have people gone to space in Bruce's world? Yeah, they have because, I mean, technology has progressed to the point where they're able to do that, but there just is not as much to convey. You know, you've got your your old timer who can tell you what the moon looked like, but it does not have the same effect as seeing the actual pictures of it or seeing a person actually standing on the moon. What does that look like then? Because some if, if the, let, let's take the moon landing, for instance, and you have Neil Armstrong and, and uh, Buzz Aldrin up there on the surface of the moon. They don't have anything to bring back except for the uh, samples they collect in the stories. Yep. Is is there like a, a novella uh, like My Week on the Moon <laughs> <laughs> by Buzz Aldrin? Oh, that sounds a little erotic. The <laughs> <laughs> well, the famous recording would still be there, though, correct? Yes, uh, as well as the recording okay. of the guy who tried to sneak in a sandwich at the moon launch. I apologize I don't know for if that. you all have ever heard about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's one of the best no. recordings you can ever hear. A guy, like, tucked a roast beef sandwich into his spacesuit as they were launching, and they're like, what What are you doing? <laughs> That's just good anyway. taste. You're going to be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the moon is much more like, uh, if you think of, Back when America was being discovered, heads of state uh, send people out and they collect these amazing moon rocks. And that's about all they have to show for it. Does that mean that we get the corresponding tales of like El Dorado on the moon then? Because <laughs> mm. we don't have... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit more mythologized. There isn't the impetus for those missions to deep space, that's for sure, because there isn't a lot of reason they're only focused on getting people to places to retrieve what could possibly be there i have a question you talk about your family your wife angie and your stepson hans you are always so wrapped up in your family like you've mentioned your family more times than i can count and the rest of us are just like <laughs> family what family yeah like, i don't know if anyone else has mentioned their family honestly without that ever-present media in your life, like depicting what family life should look like or like distracting family members, do you think it's made a big difference on how family members interact and that they're a lot more closely knit because they huddle together, so to speak, and like read their Blizzard comics or um, books <laughs> or whatever? That is interesting because family is a complicated subject for him because he basically never knew his father was raised by a single parent. 
and honestly didn't have high hopes of ever having his own family until he made the connection through the blizzard. So that part definitely resonates, but that is how he met his wife Angie was through their devotion to the comic and he wholeheartedly jumped into being a dad to Hans, but it was not something he ever actually envisioned being a part of his life coming from the way that he was raised. He has very fleeting memories before adolescence. Essentially, his memories start when he started reading The Blizzard. He does not have a lot of recollection of his childhood, especially not good memories. So I don't know that those values were instilled in him in that way. Grayson, this is your first experience with tabletop roleplay gaming, right? Correct. So first off, you're doing a phenomenal job, but I, I do think it's very interesting how deep you've delved into some of the finer details of your character's life. It's obvious in how you play Bruce that you've thought a lot about him as an independent being. I love how that comes through in the care that you play him with. Bruce has never come across as disingenuous or as jokey, despite being comedic. And I think that's a really tough needle to thread. It's hard to not play him as a joke, but still have him be funny. So this isn't really a question. I just want to commend you. Like for your first time sitting down at the table, you're doing an absolutely phenomenal job. Well, thank you, Josh. That's very kind of you. I, I have spent a lot of time writing, doing creative writing, and I've done improv in the past. So those are the things that I really try to lean on to give me that insight, which maybe is where I do have the tendency to dig deep into the character and motivation. Let's talk your character sheet. We're going to cover the different sections of your character sheet distinctions, relationships, values, your specialties, and special effects. We're going to try to get a better understanding of Bruce McKinney through that lens. So let's start with your distinctions. The three distinctions that you have chosen are found family, tuning into the spirit radio, and consummate nerd. Can you tell me a little bit about found family? Um, so that's speaking to, we did talk a little bit about that, that Bruce doesn't necessarily have a, a strong sense of his own familial past, but uh, it's really valuable to him to have found Angie and found uh, his community through the blizzard. And of course, that is also echoed in the story of the blizzard, making it exponentially more important to him. And then tuning into Spirit Radio, and this has gone through multiple iterations now as you decide whether it's Angel or Spirit Radio based <laughs> on some prior intellectual properties that have used Angel Radio, right? Yes, indeed. So what's tuning into spirit slash angel radio? Yeah. So when we first started coming up with our idea for what's in the rift, we kind of were trying to figure out why these characters might want to go to a message board like the rift. The story that I came up with for Bruce was that pretty much when he hit adolescence, he started to hear for a lack of a better way to put it, voices in his head. Generally pretty nonsensical, but 
the older that he got, the more that he focused on it, the more he was able to maybe not derive a, a message completely, but really start to get a feeling and understand what might happen. We have seen in the episodes a few times that any sort of ambient noise, whether that be a fan running or other types of just continuous noise like static, Bruce is able to tune into that and derive maybe a word, maybe just nonsense, but typically gets a a feeling and some sort of guidance from it. Okay, great. And that leaves consummate nerd. I I think I can guess this one, but why don't you explain it for us? Yep, that's uh, speaks for itself. Uh, (laughs) So Bruce (laughs) is wholly devoted to the Blizzard comics in general. He is just a person who loves comic conventions, loves sharing his enthusiasm and love for the things that he loves. Let's talk about your D10 relationship. Of course, you have a D6 relationship with every character on the show at the outset. So that would be your fellow castmates. You also have a D10 relationship with Angie and Hans. And they are your found family. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about why a D10 with them? Um, So again, Bruce was not completely listless in his life, but in his love life and his expectation for having a family, Bruce just kind of thought that, you know, that community around the Blizzard, his place in fandom was the closest thing he would have. But he was able to find love, find something beyond that when he met Angie at a Blizzard convention. And then once he had fallen in love with her, he just became completely devoted to his stepson as well. Now, I think we've seen Bruce may not completely know how to interact with children, but (laughs) it doesn't change how much he cares for Hans and wants to do right by him. I like that. And honestly, I think that reads very true. Having been a step parent myself, you have that desire to connect with your children, even if it's sometimes clumsy. And Bruce does that very well, (laughs) Uh, captures that that whole spirit very well. So let's move on to values. I'm not going to cover each one of these, but the, the seven values that we do track in our version of Cortex are artistry, faith, justice, loyalty, pragmatism, redemption, and self-preservation. These have a tendency to change over time. They are, I allow you all to freely change them based on your own character growth, as long as you can explain those changes that you've made. Right now, for Bruce, he has a D12 in loyalty and a D10 in self-preservation. Can we talk a little bit about why those two values in particular have such high ratings? Yeah, so I I did put loyalty at the top for Bruce. I think we started with the value shortly after we started, but just on this found family principle, I think that those people in the rift are really found family to Bruce as well. And he is just completely devoted to them and helping everybody understand these strange experiences that they've had and the strangeness of the rift. And self-preservation? So coming up with Bruce as being somebody who had not done much role-playing myself, I very much chose to to play a character who was pretty ineffectual as any of the typical fighter type of archetypes. So that is the main thing that Bruce has going for himself. He might not be able to dish it out, but he can avoid it. 
I think that's a reasonable choice. So let's move on to your specialties. We incorporate two major specialties and two minor specialties. Our major specialties have a D12 die value, and our minor specialties have a D8 die value. For your two major specialties, you've chosen manager and technologist. Manager, the first specialty reads, this specialty is relevant to characters who thrive in situations where they can organize solutions to problems. While an investigator may find clues, a manager will devise a system to catalog and easily retrieve those clues. They are deft at wielding resources and anticipating problems in the future. What makes Bruce a manager? So this is his role in life. So he is a director of data analytics. The one thing he has outside the blizzard is that he has been pretty devoted to climbing the corporate ladder as long as he can remember that that was something that was pretty clear to him. So uh, we, we've learned that there's sartorial parts to this too. Bruce really likes to dress like a boss that's where he <laughs> derives a lot of his own confidence, a lot of his own sometimes self-inflated importance is from his ability to be somebody who is able to lead people and manage them. All right, fair. And then for technologists, the text reads, this specialty applies to characters who have made technology a central part of their lives. They are well apprised of systems and engineering and can often find a solution via technology that others cannot. They are sometimes handy persons as well. So what makes Bruce a technologist? So this may seem strange given that a lot of our conversation was about the stunted technology in Bruce's world. Even with that being the case, he does make his living by using and analyzing the technology that is in his world. So he's very familiar with infrastructure and all of those types of things. And then for minor specialties, kind of as a transposition to your technologist, you have artist. And the text of artist reads, this specialty is for characters with a creative bent. Artists are capable fabricators and can apply their knack for aesthetics to influence others and convey meaning in ways that others cannot. Artists can work in any medium, whether it's as a painter, sculptor, writer, or performance art. Tell me a little bit about why Bruce is an artist. In Bruce's world, that is kind of just a given. As we've discussed, you can't take pictures. So art is just a skill that most people try to develop to some level. So obviously there's people who can do it on a professional level to much greater skill than others, but just like uh, driving a car almost, it's something that people are brought up learning how to do just as part of their regular life. It's important to communicating with people, being able to draw and demonstrate things. And our last specialty for Bruce is the minor specialty of handy person. The text for handy person reads, this specialty is designed for characters who know how to make things work. They are adept at finding solutions to repair or fabricate gadgets out of the materials at hand and have a particular skill for rigging things on the fly. How is Bruce a handy person? So it's a handy person, kind of like a tinkerer. He is definitely the type of person who would find joy in taking apart uh, something like a computer and just putting it back together just to learn how it works. 
Let's move on to your special effects. Your hindrance is titled, Did You Know? Can you tell me a little bit about Did You Know and how that applies to to Bruce? I think you actually gave it that name, Josh. That's right. I did, <laughs> and that's didn't I? Another uh, Kids in the Hall callback to one of Bruce McCullough's characters. Yeah, that's say, right. Did you know that I go to night school? <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, scratch that question. Um, <laughs> your your next specialty is called I'm Not Cut Out for This. Yeah. The text of this specialty is in any test or contest in which you fail your role, any ally attempting the same action may step up two dice of their choice. Spend one plot point. I'll be 100% honest. I think that most of my exposure to role-playing has been through actual play podcasts, which made me very familiar with uh, kind of Dungeons & Dragons type of... Uh, fight style, rolling for initiative and such. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was where I thought it would be really helpful if I try to do something. Well, the next person to try to do it will be great. I don't know how appropriate that really has been to the way that our game has been played, though. I think there are definitely ways that it could be. I think for a lot of it, though, whether by happenstance or pure dumb luck, Bruce has ended up elsewhere when there have been group activities like, you know, <laughs> fighting. There seems to be plenty of opportunity for this to be useful. It's just by fate or fortune, Bruce has not been in a situation where it's been useful. I actually think that this has the potential to be very good, especially were you ever to need to, like, escape somewhere. <laughs> like, multiple attempts at trying to break through a door seems, especially with a stepped-up die, seems like it would be very beneficial. So, not to spoil anything there, but <laughs> that may be important at some point in the story. So, your last your last special effect is bringing work home. And that's to gain a D6 complication and one plot point. So, you're basically giving yourself a hitch on demand. Tell me a little bit about bringing work home. Yeah, that's, I mean, isn't bringing work home like giving yourself a hitch? It's like, uh, this is going to suck right now, but it might actually pay off for me long term. So that's the general. I'm going to get that complication, but you'll have that that plot point to use in the future. The ability to get it whenever you want, I think, is very big. So while you could conceivably harm yourself you know, pretty significantly rapidly, <laughs> you can also generate plot points as you need them. It just means that that Bruce is going to be rough, much worse for the wear in that scenario. I think we've all seen how beneficial plot points can be in the story, though, especially when it comes to generating useful items at particularly opportune times. Grayson, I want to thank you very much for joining us today to discuss your character, Bruce McKinney. He's a favorite of mine, as is everyone's character on this show. But I do really appreciate you bringing him to life because I feel like the world is a brighter place to have Bruce in it. My pleasure. Before we go, uh, in our famous last episode, Brian Adams was the president of Canada. <laughs> that wasn't even a lost episode. That was in the first episode. I just had to cut it. This has been written on the book. Join us in two weeks' time for the next installment of What's in the Rift. And on the next Riffin' on the Rift, our final character installment of Jackie McLeod and her portrayer, Summer Schlenker. Thank you, and bye.
What's in the Rift and Riffin' on the Rift are gas station drugs productions.